Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining the podcast today is Global Asset Allocation Portfolio Manager Aisha Akbar. She discusses the strong American labor market, its implications for future Fed rate cuts, and the regions in which she sees significant opportunity. Aisha explains to host Pamela Ritchie that although chances of a recession remain high, she hopes it will follow a normal cyclical pattern. She sees opportunity in places like the United Kingdom and Japan, particularly within the energy sector, which remains incredibly cheap. She also adds as the US dollar continues to slip, she says the biggest beneficiary is emerging markets. Turning to productivity and recent developments in AI, Aisha says that the technology is in its early days, although the potential is certainly there. Healthcare and semiconductor stocks are two sectors she could see benefiting as AI capabilities continue to be realized. This episode was recorded on June 9, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. We'll get right into it here a little bit. There are central banks around the world, many of them either where you are or where all these investors are, um, making moves. And, and we know that it's quite a week for it. Do moves in interest rates at this point make you change much? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question to start off on, Pamela, because, I mean, I guess our, our you know, central thesis has been um, that central banks are going to have to take a lot more action. We've seen a lot happening on the inflation side of things, and certainly uh, certain central banks do need to get on top of that inflation uh, outlook going forward. Not so much in other parts of the world, but we can come on to that uh, later. Um, so, you know, we were hoping inflation would come down a lot faster than it seems to have this year. It's been a little bit more sticky. And what's that meant is that, you know, central banks really have had to uh, continue to hike rates uh, a little bit more than perhaps we would have anticipated. Um, now, we do think that, you know, the Fed is talking about, high, uh, you know, uh, pausing um, and seeing how things go. Uh, but we don't think they're going to be able to, to cut rates uh, anytime soon. So, uh, yes, we do think there are going to be a couple more uh, hikes coming through at, at some point during the year. Uh, but that doesn't really change our view too much because our, our, our thesis really had been that if last year was all about uh, inflation, this year was going to be about worries about, about growth. And we think that's still the direction of travel. You know, we do think inflation is going to slow, uh, and especially in, in the US, uh, a little bit more sticky in, in the UK and Europe. Um, you know, and Japan is a whole other story, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, so there will have to be uh, some rate rises, but we still think that the worry really to focus on going forward is, is going to be about growth. And for me, the thing to watch on that side is really going to be what happens in the US and on the labor side of things. Okay, fascinating. It, it gets to sort of this term that's being thrown around, uh, it seems more often than regularly, this U.S. exceptionalism 
does it continue? Okay. Is it still going to be sort of the best concoction of a strong currency? Um, that has good and bad things, but ultimately for investors to be looking at and, and the best returns. We've seen AI um, jump into this. Stock markets of in certain small areas have been on fire there. The case of U.S. exceptionalism, if you could speak to that and sort of the growth piece of that. Yeah, so I mean, it is very much to do with that growth aspect that you were talking about. And it's, it's really been uh, pretty, pretty noticeable this year. Because you talked about AI, and certainly that has been one of the things that perhaps we didn't anticipate last year, the, the hype around that and what that means for, for tech companies in particular. And that's had a massive impact on what's happened in the U.S. Um, so if you look at the top seven stocks, uh, you know, the, the mega caps, the techs, the, you know, the Microsofts, the NVIDIAs, the, the Amazons of, of the world, they're up about 50% uh, on, a, you know, on aggregate over the year. The, the rest of the S&P 500 have done pretty much nothing. So this has been a really narrow market led by uh, these, these stocks. Now we don't, you know, we, we, we think AI is, you know, really exciting and we think there's a lot of things that could, uh, you know, that, that really can come out of it. But is it going to be just these stocks that matter? Uh, you know, if you look at previous changes, uh, you know, let's just talk about the internet, uh, you know, 20, 20, 30 years ago. Um, you know, what were the big beneficiaries of the best beneficiaries of that? It wasn't so much tech companies. It was actually the consumer stocks that, that did really well on, on the back of that. So I think there's still more to go in terms of trying to understand which, uh, you know, which areas are going to benefit the most of it. But certainly when you have these sorts of rises in, in you know, a very very small group of companies, uh, you know, we're pretty reluctant to, to 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 chase that. So you know, our view still remains, uh, you know, for you know all the other reasons that you mentioned as well that the U.S. is probably not going to be the place to be. Uh, you know, other areas look better. And of course, if you go back to what we were talking about, you know, in terms of rate rises and if there's going to be pauses, that means the dollar probably pauses as well, and that traditionally tends to be pretty good for other parts of the world. Okay, so let's get into the regional piece of it. You're going to take us through a truly multi-asset approach, which is perhaps very beneficial in a, in a situation where we don't really know where things are going. But on a sort of physical, where are things going regionally, geographically, uh, who benefits if we see this lower dollar that you're interested in? Yeah, so you know the biggest beneficiary tends to be emerging markets. Um, and of course, when we're talking about emerging markets, we have to talk about China as well. Uh, and China has been the really interesting story this year. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of hype around China reopening uh, last year. Uh, you know, that perhaps hasn't worked out as well as most people were anticipating this year. Um, you know, if you recall early in the year, we had the whole sort of red balloon affair. Um, and I think that this brought back things about geopolitics. So, you know, there are certain things that really do, uh, you know, are, have changed and it's not just about uh, economics anymore. Um, but what, what's that actually meant is that you've seen other parts of the world you know, to kind of benefit as China proxies. So one of the reasons European stocks have done so well and luxury stocks in particular has been really sort of what's what's the sort of safer way of uh, playing China without necessarily investing in, in China stocks because people are a little bit concerned about the geopolitics around these things as well. Um, now, you know, on, on the China side of things, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that, uh, you know, the uh, macro side of things have been a little bit disappointing. You know, certainly the, you know, the recovery is there, but perhaps not as strong as people were anticipating. 
But, you know, going back to different central banks and different things, the really interesting thing, and this is why it makes it so attractive from a multi-active perspective, is that you have different countries in very different parts of the economic cycle. And China is one of those areas that can anticipate a lot of policy support coming through. Now, we're so, not saying that it's going to be massive, but it can happen. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. You're expecting stimulus in China then? Yes, we are. But, you know, how that is going to be, um, you know, manifest itself is, I think, still, still up for debate because China is China's a really interesting thing. What they want to do, and, uh, you know, I think this is probably the right thing to do, is make it a lot more consumption oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, but providing that policy stimulus to get people to spend, that's not that easy. Um, you know, it's not the way it works in, in our part of the world where you put rates down and everyone loads up on credit and goes out and you know, starts buying stuff. Um, you know, Chinese consumers don't have that much debt. Um, they do have a lot of savings. It's a confidence issue as well in, in, in China. So, you know, there, there's a, it, it's a little bit more nuanced uh, than perhaps over here. So there will probably be stimulus coming through. Best guess, yes, so some, something on the consumption side. Probably we'll have to do something on the property side of things as well. Uh, but, you know, that should provide some support uh, to, to, uh, to things. So uh, I'm picking up on it because we were mentioning or you mentioning China and, and real estate in the same sentence and, and that's sort of the spark for it. But I wonder even if you just zoom out further, the real estate picture in a lot of different places, it's largely sort of the office uh, commercial real estate story. But how, how much of a concern is that for you in China, but, but also more broadly around the world? Yeah, so so you know, pretty big concern in in China uh, because you know that's been a pretty important leg of uh, you know things going up in in that part of the world. Um, the issue really is around sort of local governments um, and what they have done on the property side of things, and that's the kind of thing that led, leads people to kind of say, you know, are we going to have a balance sheet recession in in China because uh, you've loaded up on so much debt? Uh, you know, that's not quite working out the way people were anticipating on, on the property side of things. So what's going to happen now? Um, you know, certainly it's a concern, uh, but we don't think it is at sort of critical levels yet. Yeah, because we do think that things are limited at the local government level. You know, the federal government can take on uh, a little bit more. It's not it's not ideal, but you know things things are, are are still manageable. So certainly a concern on 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 that side. But also, you know, property has been, uh, you know, one of the ways that the Chinese consumers have been investing. Um, you know, so again, going back to that confidence issue, where where you know, you know, you've probably lost a little bit of money if you put money into into the property side of things. That's not going to be the way uh, things going forward. But actually, that's pretty good from a stock market perspective uh, because there are savings. Um, you know, potentially the stock market is a beneficiary. And they've been working for some time now, uh, interrupted by COVID, on opening up on, on the financial services side of things. So you see that mm -hmm. still having wings. I mean, you know, the critics will say that the government's not there and, and isn't doing it, but you, you see that opening mm -hmm. up. We, we, we think so, yes. I mean, I, I, you know, just to be clear, we don't think this is sort of a table pumping opportunity, although the valuations in China are looking, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, but on a relative basis, it still looks like a pretty good place to, 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 to be. Let's let's go to, to the multi-asset opportunities that you're seeing around mm -hmm. the world. Um, a couple of months ago, we would have people on and say, if you don't like bonds now, well, you just don't like bonds. You know, that's that's kind of your thing. Uh, do you agree with that? 
You don't like bombs? Um, no, <laughs> it's just a short, short answer. Um, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I think this is a fantastic opportunity, right? I mean, for, you know, we, we've, we've had so much volatility in markets. We've had so much volatility, especially you know, on the fixed income side of things. Um, and that's when a multi-asset approach can really help because we can, we can help dampen down that volatility. And when, you know, you're fortunate enough to work in a team as I have, where you have an awful lot of experts, you know, really looking at every aspect of, of markets, uh, you know, you can move quickly and take advantage of those opportunities. So, you know, we have been uh, moving to take advantage of yields, you know, sort of spiking, and we anticipate those will probably come down by, by the end of the year. Uh, and different different areas provide different opportunities. Uh, you know, would I be investing in JGBs, you know, in Japan at the moment, probably not. And we think you know, things are really starting to change on, on that side. Um, but treasuries potentially could provide a pretty good opportunity, uh, you know, if things work out the, the way uh, that that, um, uh, that we anticipate. So, you know, a lot of opportunities to take advantage if you can slice and dice portfolios and have the experts on hand who really are following this and being able to sort of move, um, you know, as markets have this year. So, um, no, I think I think you know, plenty of opportunity uh, to come on on that side. I mean, we we have been using opportunities to add to our fixed income positions and, and, and bonds. We're, you know, more sort of on the duration and high quality credit side, where we're a little bit nervous about other other parts of, uh, of, of the fixed income complex for now. So that sort of brings in the discussion of will there, won't there be either recession or hard landing? I mean, that, that's kind of the mm -hmm. same thing. Um, with the fund that you manage, do you have to decide really on that or, or is, are there more options? And then there's a lot of options, right? So, I mean, clearly we, we have a view uh, in terms of what's going to happen. We, we still think the chances are, are high of a recession. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it's going to be sort of a nice, normal, cyclical recession where, you know, think things don't look too good for a while, but, you know, hopefully recover. Uh, and then there's opportunity to, to get back into risk assets uh, as we can in, 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 in these portfolios. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that opportunity still remains. Uh, but what is more exciting is really trying to find those niche areas that you can, you can add value in uh, at the moment. And sort of, you know, we talked about areas that can work. You know, we, we still think emerging markets, uh, China provides some opportunities to, to, to do that regionally. Uh, you know, we think there's opportunities in places like the UK and in Japan, potentially going forward as well. Um, and, in, and even in sectors, uh, so as we talked about sort of technology and what's happening on, on that side, uh, you know, and that is something potentially that you, you know, we have played quite successfully. But also on the other side, um, you know, it's been very interesting watching what's been going on, say, on the energy um, sector. Um, yeah. Looking incredibly cheap, uh, incredibly cheap, uh, you know, not very uh, well liked for for you know all the reasons that uh, you know everyone is very aware of, but certainly uh, you know is is that cheapness warranted? We're not so sure, uh, you know, and especially if you think um, oil prices may have found a floor with everything that we've seen happening on OPEC and and, and you know the Saudi Arabian cuts, which weren't entirely expected or you know agreed upon by by everyone. Uh, you know that that potentially provides some some interesting opportunities to to invest in. So uh, you know. Overall, we think we're cautious, but we're finding lots of opportunities in, in areas. And you know, again, being part of a multi-asset portfolio, we, we, we can do that, which is which is fantastic. Are there regions around the world where, I mean, the global players are the global players in energy, but in, in any case, are there regions around the world where the energy picture is more enticing to you? 
Um, I think it really is uh, globally, and you kind of have to sort of look at opportunities everywhere. You know, it's not it's not specific to any one particular area. Um, so we're we're kind of playing it as a as a global sector game. Uh, I know we think that is that is one thing that potentially could could add value. It's not ever going to be a huge part of our portfolio. Uh, you know, we think there are you know uh, risks associated with that, uh, but potentially you know correct sizing that position. I think we we can do quite well from here to the end of the year with that. With that. Mm -hmm. So let's get into Japan and talking a little bit about what, what you like yeah. there. Um, a number of people have actually said, not unlike the way they were discussing Europe sort of four or five months ago, that it's a good way to play yeah. the China reopening without actually being invested in China, if, if that's what yeah. uh, people are inclined to do. Do, do you agree with that? Uh, I think so. I mean, one of the really interesting things that you're seeing in Japan um, is, uh, you know, if you look at sort of trading partners for, for Japan, China is pretty much up there now with the United States, so it's 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 a pretty important uh, part uh, of what's going on within you know, the Japanese uh, you know economy. So you know certainly it is it is a way to play it's a, it's a way to play manufacturing, and of course Japan has the advantage of being close to the region, which you know has been another theme that that's you know emerged in, in the last couple of years. So you know certainly China uh, Japan can benefit from from China sort of uh, you know stabilizing and starting to grow again. Uh, but there's a lot going on within Japan as well. Uh, I mean, you know, this is really coming from the perspective of, you know, a, a lot of sort of uh, managers such as myself didn't really pay too much attention to to Japan. It was it was you know it wasn't a very big part of the portfolio. It wasn't doing particularly well. There were other areas that were much more exciting. But there's been a few things happening there that really are causing people to look again. And you know, this is on the company as well. Sorry, just to clarify. Uh, this Yes, this is this is on the equity side of things, um, you know, and you kind of, you know, you look at sort of, you know, a, it's not very expensive. Uh, B, there's a lot of corporate reform going on, uh, you know, that uh, you know, is really encouraging companies to sort of give back the cash. And Japanese companies have a lot of cash in the balance sheet that could be given back to shareholders. Um, so certainly a lot of moves there to sort of start, uh, start, uh, you know, looking a little bit more attractive uh, to, to investors such as myself. Um, you know, it's never been one for, for dividends, uh, but that dividend growth is there. So, you know, that corporate governance, that's been around for you know a few years is starting to to pay off, and a lot of those things you know are being able to be done because Japan, quite interestingly, you know finally has inflation, uh, which has really yeah. not been an issue that they've had for an awfully long time. So you know this could be the start of very interesting things happening on the Japanese equity uh, side of things. So uh, you know early days yet, uh, you know, but we do think it, it is prudent to start looking at Japan more closely and adding to positions there. I mean, having said that, it has had a really good strong run for the last couple of months. Uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of an opportunity for, for a pullback, but I, I certainly think it, it's, a, it's an area that investors need to start looking at uh, a lot more closely. Is the Japanese economy a more productive economy than, I don't know, other countries? I'll let you make the comparison. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's an interesting one again, right? Because we've had the same issues in Japan that perhaps other parts of the world are starting to talk about. So demographics has been an issue. Uh, you know, how do we get things moving again? So again, I think Japan has has an advantage on that. Um, the the other thing, of course, is you know from an economic perspective, uh, you know we've talked about inflation, which actually is is uh, you know increasing, which is from a Japanese perspective not necessarily a bad thing. Although it does mean the Bank of Japan has a few decisions to make on its sort of yield curve control policy. 
um, you know, going going forward. Um, but actually, you know, the other thing that's happened is Japan has uh, you know reopened. Uh, and that's provided a little bit of a boost uh, to to the economy as well. So if you look at retail sales, you know they're 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 they've gone up quite a lot. And again, probably not hurt by the fact that you have inflation, because you know you know why do you want to dip our stuff when you go out and, and buy stuff now? Um, you know when when you expect prices to go up later. So you know a real change in in what's happening in in Japan. So you know we do think the economy is going to be strong enough. Uh, you know the Bank of Japan will make some changes to its uh, uh, you know policy um, uh, going forward, uh, and you know that could have very long term implications in terms of uh, asset allocation because you could see a lot of Japanese investors bringing back their assets to 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 Japan. That's so interesting. Okay, and and sort of fueling markets from that side, yeah. Which absolutely, yeah. That that's absolutely fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit more about how you're seeing sort of the productivity discussion. Let Let's go back to AI a little bit. You sort of referenced it, mm -hmm. um, and and it's there and it's being discussed. What does it mean for your portfolio? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good question. So you know the the hype really around AI is that this changes everything. This uh, you know potentially is the savior for uh, you know the, the labor supply issues that most companies are are grappling with. Uh, you know certainly in in the UK and Europe, you're you're starting to see that uh, really become an issue. Uh, we still think that that's a, a bit of a, a you know a, a distance away. Uh, you know, certainly the potential is there, um, but uh, all, all the evidence that we've seen, and you know, you, you would imagine that the team has looked into this quite a lot, it's still very early days. Uh, so the good news is that you know we'll, we'll probably still have our jobs, uh, which is which is good to know. Uh, but you know, if anything else, it's going to be an enhancement. So as you said, productivity potentially increases. Uh, you know, and that combination of sort of being able to, you know, keep uh, all the jobs and include the productivity side of things is going to be quite important. But it is going to be very much on a on a case by case uh, basis. Different sectors will have different uh, different advantages um, on, on that side of things. So, you know, one of the areas perhaps is, uh, you know, healthcare. Uh, you know, it's not going to replace doctors anytime soon, but certainly medical trials are going to be so much easier to do. Uh, with, with this sort of thing, which is which is you know, I, that's sure good for everyone. Good news, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's good for everyone if they can get uh, certain drugs safely fast tracked, uh, not not unsafely. Um, yeah. So just to kind of stick with this for a second, when we introduced you and said hello, we we did say that kind of the the U.S. exceptionalism, the labor market is all kind of tied together there, but. Again, add the AI in. Is it is it just too early to see a massive change? I mean, it, it's not around the corner, or or is it? No, I don't think it's around the corner. These things take take time to to play out. Uh, you know, the important thing is to sort of you know do the research, stay on top of things, uh, but certainly you know not looking to chase uh, at these sort of valuations. You know. It, it, you know, things things sort of manifest themselves different ways. So we were talking about the U.S. and talking about you know which which things benefit. So one of the areas that we think could benefit from AI is actually semiconductor stocks, um, and that's not just limited to the to the U.S. Right. So that you have, uh, you know, emerging markets will have some of that. You know, Taiwan has done really well on on, on the back of uh, you know all this sort of thing. So it's not just going to be about the, um, the the U.S. Although clearly, you know that you know that that part of the world is leader in these things, but plenty of other areas that haven't necessarily 
gone up in sort of uh, you know price quite as much uh, as 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 you've seen those very few stocks in in the U.S. So um, tell us a little bit about positioning at this stage. So mm -hmm. so are you are you in terms of allocation? It's it is more towards fixed income at this point. What's the balance? Yeah. So so we're 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 pretty cautious. We I mean not not too far off neutral because we do think uh, you know correctly thankfully that you know that it was very difficult to make a very big call on a big recession happening given the strength of the labor market given the savings that we uh you know we all had uh coming out of uh, covid um you know so so but we do think that you know given how much uh you know the fed and other central banks have hiked that's going to have an impact at some point so you know and we can we can start to see that you know the recent labor uh, data jobs claims data in the us you know certainly starting to spike up um so you know that you know is it fast enough to to cause massive problems just yet not entirely sure but the direction of travel isn't looking looking good so we do think that you know caution is warranted um so you know on the side of that adding to fixed income when the opportunity uh, presents itself uh, but still finding opportunity opportunities within you know equities uh, as we've talked about so uh you know not not taking no risk uh, but at the overall level, you know, relatively cautious, but not taking massive bets. But it's not the easiest for everyone to take advantage of volatility in, in bond markets. And you have a, a, I mean, you sort of sit in a position where you can do that, which is, must have been helpful. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, this is the beauty of having sort of a multi-asset portfolio that can invest in different parts of the world, different areas, different uh, sectors, uh, you know, so we, we are really trying to use the entire toolkit to make sure that, you know, investors in the fund do, do benefit from all the things that are happening. And sticking with the positioning, so so EM versus DM, uh, I never mm -hmm. like these terms, but we're stuck with them. There they are. Um, yeah. yeah, how does that sit? Yeah, so, so, so uh, sticking with that theme, uh, you know, uh, we have reduced that position in, in EM, uh, you know, again, based on the discussions that we had that are there other ways you can play the emerging market reopening, but, you know, given valuations in China, given the fact that uh, you know, there is uh, the potential for policy to come through, uh, you know, still maintaining a position on, on, on that as well. Okay, great. Um, should we talk a little bit about um, ultimately the European trade and, and particularly the UK? Mm -hmm. So if, if we all kind of look back to the beginning of this year, the European trade was a very interesting one for lots of different reasons. The currency story was in there, certainly. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the exposure to China with without directly investing in China. Does that all still work? Uh, in, in Europe and the UK, um, it, it, it does. Uh, but if you look at the underlying data within uh, Europe, it's not looking fantastic uh, anymore. So, you know, certainly some signs that uh, countries are in recession, uh, you know, that the, that the stimulus that we've had is, is starting to come off. Uh, so not looking particularly great at this stage. Um, and then you have the ECB that's still looking to, to hike because inflation is remaining a little bit higher. Uh, than uh, you know than than they would want. So you know you have a combination of rates going up, you know growth slowing certainly in some parts of uh, the European Union. So it's not looking fantastic. And you know Europe has done much much better than most most people uh, you know, expected uh, certainly this time last year. 
Um, so, you know, starting to take some, some, some money off the table in, in certain, in certain areas. But we do think the UK, the UK looks a little bit more attractive now. Uh, you know, it, it is very cheap. Uh, it is very unloved. Uh, you have a lot of dividend support, uh, in terms of the companies that you get, uh, in here in, in, in the UK. So you're effectively being paid to wait, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to see how things work out. Um, so we do like uh, the UK, and of course, you know, it tends to be a defensive part of the world. So if we are right in the fact that you know, things are going to slow down from here, uh, you know, the UK market tends to be a pretty good defensive place. So uh, you know, within Europe, uh, preferring the UK uh, to, to 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 Europe for now. Do you, do you expect, based on sort of your general outlook, do you expect to have you know cash to deploy over the months to come? Yes, uh, so we are holding on to a bit of cash. The advantage of cash, of course, well, two advantages, you're actually getting, you know, paid something to hold cash. Uh, and also it helps with the volatility uh, that we've seen. So you can use it to, to dump down things. And, and we've wanted to keep some powder dry because we do think there'll be more opportunities uh, to, to invest in. At the moment, that money, you know, where we are deploying it is going into fixed income, um, you know, mostly. Um, but, you know, we do think at some point there's going to be great opportunities in equities. Best guess at the moment, you know, we'll, we'll probably have to wait till next year to, to, to see that. Okay, really interesting. And currency of choice? Oh, that's that's a that's a that's a good one. Um, you know, it is it is it is it is difficult to sort of make a very strong case on that. I mean, I guess you know we're not terribly uh, excited about about the dollar from 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 here. Uh, you know, we probably like uh, the yen, uh, you know, more than anything else, but not taking massive bets on on that side again. Um, you know, but yes, I think probably the, the easiest way to do it is that, you know, we, we have a preference for non-dollar um, currencies. Is there any um, is there any sort of positioning, but also nuts and bolts of the fund that you just want to kind of leave investors with? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, uh, if, if, if you recall, this, this is a fund that, you know, is uh, investing in fixed income and in uh, equities on a global basis. We can use cash, but we've also got that flexibility to really go down into regions and flex, uh, you know, the, the fund from that perspective. So, uh, you know, really sort of decide which regions we like. And we can actually also go down to the sector level. Um, so we can make those calls that we've been talking about in terms of what is going to do well, how that all fits in together. Um, so, you know, in this sort of environment where you've had so many moving parts and so much uh, happening in such a very short period of time, uh, you know, having all those levers to pull is, is, is pretty important. And we've certainly done our best to try and take advantage of all of those things uh, to try and give our, our investors as smooth a ride as possible. So, you know, this is a fund that you really want to be holding, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't want to make those difficult decisions, you don't want to sort of get worried every time you're looking at what's going on. And sort of multi-asset investing really lends itself uh, very well to, to that. Aisha, where have you traveled? We're halfway through the year. Where have you traveled this year? You you run a, a global fund. Um, where have you been to so far? Well, so it's, it's really interesting. We're not not had to do too much travel personally. So the team has traveled quite a lot. But thankfully, a lot of my uh, clients and investors are quite happy to still uh, do Zoom. But certainly getting a lot of interest from from, from European clients. Uh, to, 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 to go to, uh, you know, a few more, more exotic, further away places coming through as well. Um, so, so yeah, that interest is there. Uh, you know, the travel plans are, are, are getting booked up. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, always great to, to, to meet people and see what's going on in, in, in the world. So it, it's really nice that so there's a bit of normality coming back. Yeah, yeah, just people getting back out there and, and seeing people face to face. Thank you for spending time with us uh, in, in this forum. We really appreciate it, Aisha. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.